the evil one, the devil come after you, trying to string you along, trying to trick you into some things that maybe you know oh, I shouldn't be doing this, but he started dangling out there in front of your face, and you're like, yeah, maybe I should. No, I'm not sure. I know I had some struggles. If we're truthful, it happens to all of us, right? He starts wearing his ugly head and starts throwing out these ideas to us and starts to string us along. Or anybody been fighting with the world this week? <laughs> Turn on the news for a few minutes. Really can send you down a rabbit hole, especially in your thought life and in what you want to say or what you want to do or get on social media and you start getting roped into something. Some friends invite you to go do something. You're like, oh, I shouldn't, but it looks good. And the world says, let's go. Come on. It looks like a lot of fun. Just ropes you along, doesn't it? Remember some of this from last week? You know, this chain gets heavy. You all hear the crash in the back? Did you guys hear that? If you hear that, trying to figure out how to get this chain on me. It's what the flesh does, though. The flesh wants to entangle us. It wants to wrap us up and entice us to do all kinds of things that we know don't honor God. And what happens is we come to a crash. We're in this journey right now. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I encourage you to use the YouVersion Bible app and open up the events tab to find the notes for today under center point. We're in this journey that we started last week learning how do we put Jesus first in this world that is a me first world? How do I make him the number one priority? I imagine many in this room or those who are joining us online are fans of the TV show The Office. Any fans here of The Office? I know there's been a lot of people talking about how it's been streaming or whatever, and now I think it's been taken off. Steve Carroll and John Krasnick and Jenna Fisher and Rain Wilson. I got to tell you, I'm not a huge fan. I've seen a few shows, though, a few episodes, seen a few clips here and there, and they worked at a fictional paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And one of the episodes, it's kind of an iconic episode. I've actually used the clip before here in church, a co-worker named Creed is talking to Michael, who is Steve Carroll, about his financial problems and encourages him just to get rid of his financial problems by declaring bankruptcy. Some of y'all may remember that, that scene. So Michael walks in the office and says, I declare bankruptcy. Some of y'all remember that. And he just shouts it like, okay, I'm done. I've declared it. Later on, another co-worker, Oscar, goes up to him, walks in Steve's office and tells him, listen, you can't just say it. It's like, what do you mean? You told me to declare it. I declared it. No, you can't just say it. It's a rather funny episode, and it's true. You can't just say, I declare bankruptcy and be all done with your financial challenges. L let me tell you something else this morning that you can't just declare. You can't just declare, Jesus is Lord. Now, some would say, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to declare him Lord? Absolutely. But we can't just declare that he's Lord. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and it beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You can't just say Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 21 again. It's a sobering wake-up call, or at least it should be, for every one of us who believe in Jesus as our Savior and who have claimed Him as our Savior and call ourselves a Christian. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only. Only. It's a key word. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we cannot just proclaim with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and then not follow His actions or His call, or the Scripture calls it, His will. Last week we began this brand new series, Jesus First in a a Me First World. And the truth is, a lot of people will tell you Jesus is Lord and that He is first in our lives, but they live in their own little Me First world. Say all the right things but do all the wrong things. Say, I believe in Jesus, but not really pursue Jesus. Matter of fact, we all face it. Even the Apostle Paul admitted it in Romans 7 when he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I want, but the very thing that I hate, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, you find the whole, uh, the, the whole text there where Paul is telling us, I have this struggle. I want to honor God. I don't honor God. I want to do right. I don't do right. And this back and forth battle that I struggle with. Aren't you encouraged to know the Apostle Paul who's written over half the New Testament, who was a missionary, who started many, many churches? Aren't you glad to know he struggled? I'm like, okay, that's encouragement to know that I'm not the only one. And Paul then goes on and says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's like, praise God. I have a struggle. It's real. I want to honor God. I want to do right. I walk out the, wall, out, the, out the door and I do wrong, but praise God I get delivered because of Jesus Christ. Paul said, that's my only hope. Truth is, that's our only hope. That's our only hope. We can't just say Jesus is Lord any more than Michael Scott could say, I declare bankruptcy. Challenge is we have three crazy enemies. The world, represented by the rope, represented by the color green. Why? Because the world's trying to rope us into things all the time. This looks good. That sounds good. Let's go do this. And the the color green because the world tells you, go for it. Do whatever you want to do. You just keep on going because whatever you choose, you choose. We also have to battle with the flesh. The flesh represented by the chain. The chain which is gray because why? Because everything is just 
a-okay. You do what you want. There's no black. There's no white. There's, there's, there's no truth. You just do what you want. And the flesh then entangles us and, and entraps us and, and ties us up. And then you got the devil represented by this string. Now, many times we think, well, why isn't the devil the chain or why isn't the devil the rope? Because the devil is so sly and so sneaky and so crafty, and he just kind of gets us hooked in and says, now I'm going to string it along. Kind of like a kite. Talked about that last week. He who has the kite has control of the kite. He who has the string has control of the kite. Right? And so if you have that kite up in the air and you want it to go higher, you release the string. You want it to come closer, you pull the string closer. You want it to go to the right or left, you move where the string is at. And that's what Satan tends to do. Represented by the color red, I don't think I discussed this last week because I think I just forgot. Some say, well, red because it's the devil and he wears a big red suit. No, the color red because like a stop sign yelling at you, stop, stop, danger ahead. Don't, don't, don't fall for the traps. And so we represent them by the color red. We face a daily battle that even the Apostle Paul faced that's unwinnable in our own strength. And we have three relentless enemies who are after us every day. And then Jesus says, the only one who will enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Two very important questions I think we need to ask. As Jesus talks about this passage, or Jesus says these words, what is the will of the Father in heaven? What exactly is his will? What exactly does he expect of us or want of us? And then how do I do it? How do I actually live that out? Let's look at first what it is, and then we'll consider our options for doing it. Some people say, I don't know what God's will is. Well, it's really not that hard when you look at Scripture to understand what it is. Now, doing it can be challenging. But consider this. It is the will of God that we are saved. I mean, 1 Timothy 2 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why we started this church 16 years ago. We wanted to help more people become saved. That's one of our goals here, help more people connect with Jesus, help more people know who Jesus is, help more people find Jesus. And he said, that's the will. I want people to be saved. You're here today, and you say, I'm not sure if I understand that word. At the end of our service, we're going to have a time where our prayer team will be available to talk and pray with you. And you say, I need to discuss that more. I need need to make sure I'm saved. I need to understand what that all entails. We'd love to share with you. It is God's will that we be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5 says, And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know how you get drunk? You keep drinking. You put a little bit more in. You put a little bit more in. You keep putting a little bit more in. You know how you get filled with the Spirit? Keep drinking the Spirit. A little bit more of the Spirit, a little bit more of His Word, a little bit more of prayer, a little bit more of worship, a little bit more of gathering, and you get filled with the Spirit. And then you say, how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, in Galatians 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they should be evident in your life. In Acts chapter 1-8, when they went out and they preached the Word, they become filled with the Spirit and they became witnesses of Jesus. So how do I know I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, I have fruits of the Spirit, and I witness for Jesus. Have you spoke the name of Jesus lately to somebody? See, if you have, you know, okay, the Spirit's working in me. Spirit's starting to do some work. I'm being filled with the Spirit. It is God's will that we be sanctified. 
1 Thessalonians 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Now, I know that passage is in the context of sexual immorality, but what Paul is writing here at church in Thessalonica is not limited just to sexuality. It's limited to, or, or it's, it's involved with having control over your body, not letting your body and its sensual desires have control over you, and it's a sanctification process of working towards that and saying, God, I'm going to work with you and work with your spirit because I'm filled with the spirit to get rid of things that are in my body or actions of my body that don't honor God. And Paul used an example here in the sexual relationship. Number four, it is God's will that we be submissive. Ouch. That's a hard one, especially when we read 1 Peter. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil. Or I could put in there to our federal government or to our state government and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Submit to authority. Man, we have a hard time with that in our culture today, don't we? Do we submit to authority? Are you submissive to the police? Submissive to governing authorities? Submissive to parents? Submissive to your teachers? Submissive maybe to your pastor or spiritual leaders? In other words, that's saying I'm willing to obey and follow authority. Submissive to our government even when we disagree with the government. Paul says, listen, this is the instruction here that we are submissive, mostly submissive, to God Almighty. It is God's will that we present ourselves as living sacrifices. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're to be living sacrifices, throw ourselves on the altar before God and say, God, I'm breathing, I'm alive, I'm active, but what do you want for my life? I'm your sacrifice. Somebody once said, living sacrifices keep crawling off the altar. That's the hard thing. We throw ourselves on the altar, then we kind of go back. I'm not sure if I want to do that, God. It is God's will that we suffer. Some of you are like, oh, I'm in God's will. Thank you. Consider it for a second. First Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Second Timothy says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And First Peter says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than, do, than for doing evil. Someone here may say, I don't know if I really suffer for Jesus. I've heard people say that. Brian, where do I ever suffer? I'm not really sure I've experienced suffering or difficult times. Well, you have to ask yourself, I'm really living in God's will. See, when you really put yourself out there and live for Jesus, you will experience suffering. It is God's will that we be thankful. 1 Thessalonians says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus. Not, not give thanks for the circumstances, but give thanks in the circumstances. And sometimes that drives us to say, Lord, I don't like the circumstance I'm in, but thank you for it because I'm growing and I am learning. But he says, you give thanks in all circumstances. So only the one who does the will of God is going to heaven? That's what Jesus said, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I read that passage as I was studying this week. I went, stink. I can't tell you I do this all the time. I missed the boat. You mean saved? Yeah, okay, spirit-filled. I hope I'm getting there. Sanctified, I'm working on it. Submissive? Eh, God, not always. Present our bodies as living sacrifice. Many times I want to do it my way. Be willing to suffer? I don't like that idea. And to be thankful? Man, I've been complaining a lot lately. And Jesus said, you got to be living out my will if you want to go to heaven. So how can we possibly do that? How can we do it, especially when we have three crazy, strong enemies called the world and the flesh and the devil? How do we do that? Well, God has given us some help. Can you say amen? We're not left alone to do this all by ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for not leaving us. So let's consider that. First of all, God has given us a conscience Romans 2, the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And in other words, God has given everyone an inner sense of right and wrong. Whether you know him or you don't know him, whether he's your savior or he's not your savior, all of us have it built inside of us, this is wrong and this is right. Chuck Swindell writes and says, The passing of time does not erase our guilty conscience. The ache lingers even after everyone in the family grows up, even after the crime is dismissed in the courtroom, even after the divorce is final and you've walked away without biblical justification, even after the things done in secret are far from anyone's awareness, even after decades of polluted water have washed beneath the bridge of memory. Swindell understands what this Romans passage is saying is, is we have a conscience that continues to work on our mind. He goes on and says, do you remember Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Telltale Heart? In it, the murderer couldn't sleep because he kept hearing the beating heart of his victim down in the basement. He wasn't hearing the victim's heart, of course. He was hearing his own heart pounding in his chest, reverberating through his skull. His own guilt awoke him, and it finally left the revelation that he was the murderer conscience. Some say, where is that located? Some say, well, that's inside your brain. Your, your brain makes you think about what's right and what's wrong. Some say it's inside your heart where you've done something wrong and your heart just aches. Some people will say, no, that's inside my gut where I just my gut is just turning and I can't even eat. I, we don't know exactly where, it's, where it lands at, but the Bible talks about having a clear conscience in 1 Timothy 3.9 and having a seared conscience in 1 Timothy 4.2. If you, if, if you do what's right, then your conscience is clear. Someone has said there is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. In other words, you can lay your head down at night and you can go to sleep. It's not something too difficult. But if you do what's wrong and keep doing it, your conscience becomes seared. In other words, burn or cauterize or desensitize to the point of being unable to feel or to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Could our country be in that spot? 
Our consciences have been seared, so we cannot define what is right and what is wrong. Our conscience lets us know. People intuitively know what is wrong and what is right. God has placed that inside of us. It's like an air horn that goes off. When you're young and you've done wrong, you're like, oh, no, I'm going to be in trouble. I hope my mom and dad don't find out. But as you get older and you do wrong maybe more and maybe a little bit more, eventually your conscience becomes seared. Conscience let us know what is right and what is wrong. Let me illustrate it for you. Without the Bible, without knowing God, now, this is not exactly my bed from home because my bed's, you know, twice the size of this. But if this were my bed, we know that I sleep in this bed and my wife sleeps in this bed and nobody else because of my conscience. You say, wait, preacher, no, that's because you're biblical teaching. No, I bet you if I went out here and talked to 50 people and said, I'm married to this woman, Brianna, am I allowed to have somebody else in my bed and have relations with them? They would say, you're crazy, she's going to kill you. Because our conscience knows it's wrong to have somebody else in my bed. You understand what I'm talking about? We know that's wrong just because God put it on our heart. I, could, I, I don't think I could go out here and talk to 10 people and ask them that question, and I'm not sure if I would get one. They, now, they may say, well, that depends. Is your wife crazy? Well, maybe. Is your wife providing for you? Is your wife meeting all your needs? Well, no, then, okay, you have the right. But yeah, I'm not really sure. They would have all kinds of excuses to get around all that because we know our conscience tells us that that is wrong, and there should be no one else in my bed, and I should not be in somebody else's bed. Just from my conscience, I know that. We're not even getting to what the Bible teaches us. Would you all agree with me? I mean, we know that. We have certain things that are built inside of us that is wrong. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. Your conscience will tell you that. It doesn't matter what tribe or what tongue or what territory you're talking about. God has given every human being a conscience, an inner sense of what is right and what is wrong. Well, preacher, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us that. Romans. I brought up my Romans text to remind you. We're jumping back in Romans come February, okay? If you have one of these, get, get it out. Remember last year we started this before the pandemic? If not, I'd encourage you to pick one up. This is just the book of Romans, place to take notes and all that kind of stuff. Listen to what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's plain to them because who has shown it to them? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse." Well, you know, my kids are doing A, B, or C. They just don't understand. You know, this world's just different. They didn't know the difference that that was right and that was wrong. That's a lie of the evil one who's trying to string us along. 
And we should not give okay or excuse to that to say, oh yeah, my friend, they're doing ABA. It's okay. They don't know any difference. The Bible tells us that there is no excuse because what God has built inside of our conscience, we know what is right and what is wrong. See, the world says, it's okay. Keep pulling you along. Keep going. It's okay to jump into bed with somebody else who's not your spouse. That's all right. Just keep pulling along. And then the flesh comes along and says, well, I'll just kind of tangle you up. And Satan keeps stringing along, stringing along. Before long, your marriage is destroyed. Because that's how Satan works. That's how the world works. That's how flesh works. We've seen it happen many times. You see it happen in your life in many different areas. Or you think about this. I can't get in it. I tried last week. My foot will fit. But you get up, and after you get out of bed, and you've fought off the world and the flesh and the evil one because you ran to the cross, and you spent time in prayer, and you spent time worshiping, and you turned on Brian Bolton's podcast sermons. (laughs) Nick, be quiet over there. And you get in a car, and you're like, okay, the day's going to start. Just because of your conscience, not even because of Scripture, you know there are places I should not let my vehicle go. There are places I know I should not drive to. You know those places when you drive around town, they have boards on the window, they paint them, make them look pretty, but it's all dark inside? Strip clubs? You know! I, I probably shouldn't pull into that place. That's not a healthy place to go to. You know as a teenager who's now driving, who's 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you know I get in this car and I'm going to go to that party and I know there's drinking and smoking and doping and sex and I know I know I shouldn't, but I'm going anyway. Your conscience is yelling the whole time, don't go that direction, don't go that direction, don't go that direction, go see your grandma, go see your aunt, go see your uncle, go see your friend, don't go that way. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Conscience. Brian, don't go through that McDonald's line. You don't need another one of those sandwiches. You're trying to lose some weight. No, but I like my McDonald's breakfast. No, don't do it. You know, and then the world builds a McDonald's on Georgetown Street, like real close to me. And the flesh says, I like my egg and cheese sandwich and that little greasy hash brown. And Satan says, just drive that way. Sometimes it's small things like that that we go, it's not that big of a deal. But it is that big of a deal because God's been telling me, quit eating that junk. Am I going to be submissive to him or not? Let's talk about one more area. You get up and you go to work. You say, well, not too many times are there issues there, are there? Are you on time to work? Do you leave early? You're supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock? What time do you roll in? not punching a clock, especially. If you're punching a clock, sometimes that can get you more a little accountability. You know, if you're rolling into late work three, four, five minutes, or you're leaving three, four, five minutes early, and your conscience is going, no big deal. Everybody does that. That's the world. Everybody does that. But you know what you're doing? You're stealing. You're stealing from your employer. Oh, yeah, I got some work to do here. That little side business, I'm selling some of that makeup, I'm selling some of those oils, I'm selling some of that gold or some of that other stuff. While you're supposed to be working for your employer, you're working on their dime, working on your home business, 
Your conscience is saying, oh, it's okay. The world says that's fine. You deserve to have a part-time job. Your employer doesn't pay you enough while you're getting tangled up in the flesh going, yeah, I need to make more money. My bank account is too low. And Satan's just stringing you along. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Before long, your employer says, what have you been doing lately? Well, let me check your computer. You're fired. Happens. It happens. But what do you look at on the screen? What videos are you watching? How much time you spend on YouTube? Are you watching stuff that's improper? The world just kind of keeps working. The flesh keeps working. And Satan keeps working and trying to destroy us. Well-meaning Christians say, well, I didn't really know any better. That's a lie. It's a lie. You know what a lie is? Caleb's had a coach years ago told us and never forgot it. A lie is a is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's an excuse. Skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. You start believing it. How's that possible? Your, your conscience tells you how to behave in this world even without knowing God. But what happens many times is our conscience has been seared so we don't hear the voice of God because it's been seared by this world. It's been burnt so many times. When you become a Christian, God gives you something else to guide you, though. You're all like, would you all move on? We got it, conscious. He gives us a compass. He gives us a compass. Now, I haven't used this a whole lot, but if you're out in the woods, do you, you know you have a compass on your phone? I need someone over here to help me out. Who, who has an iPhone over here? Somebody over here have an iPhone? Rex, stand up and find your compass. Do you know where your compass is? I need someone over here who has an iPhone. Just stay where you are. Just stay, stay right where you are. Rex, go right back over to your chair. <laughs> Keep going. There you go, all right? I need someone over here who has an iPhone. Somebody have an iPhone? Stand up with your iPhone. Nobody in the middle has an iPhone? There you go. Thank you, Aaron, all right? What about somebody, and find your compass. What about somebody over here? Somebody over here have an iPhone? Somebody have an iPhone in their, po- in their pocket, okay, okay? Now, Jen, I'm going to ask you to move over there by, by, by Lane. Go all the way back there. Okay, well, Lane can help you. I don't know. Oh, you don't have an iPhone. The only reason I'm doing iPhone is I don't know what other phones have. But I want you to open up your compass. I was doing this earlier today, and I opened up my speedometer app. And I thought, well, maybe that's part of the thing I needed to share with you all, you know, just looking at the speeding situation. But open up your compass and uh, kind of hold it flat like this. All right? Did you find it, Jen? You got it? Okay, stand up back there. So, all right, we got, look at this. We got helpers. You got your compass on you? All right. Rex, show me by your hand which way is north according to your compass. It's right this way, right? Okay. Which way is north? Yours is... Are you sure? It's right now, now you're saying right that way. You're saying right that way. Which way's north? You're saying kind of that way? I mean, this is amazing. If you just barely tilt it, it like goes that way. So we all have to be like on the same degree of angle and everything in order to be perfect. So if, if I set mine on degree 184, then it's going to point right back this way. If you, if you turn your thing, see, 184 goes right back this, this direction. Rex, what degree is yours on? Uh, do you 184... You may not know how to work your compass. No, you're okay. You're okay. Rex is trying to ruin my illustration. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated, everybody. Go ahead and be seated. Here's the truth of the matter. If we know how to work our compasses, 
which, you know, they tell you if you're out in the woods, but you got to get a flat spot, you got to set it down, make sure it's all working right, right? We all know north is somewhere, somewhere back this way, depending on how you're holding your compass in place. We have a compass who keeps us pointing north. How, how do we know that? And, and how, how, why does a compass point north? A compass points north because of what's in the middle of the earth. There's a magnet in the middle of this earth that keeps things in, in line. Now, I can't explain all how the earth was put together, but I know that the, the earth spins on that central magnet or axis, and it keeps the earth pointing north and keeps the earth pointing south and west and east. And you know, if this earth were moved one degree towards the sun, we'd fry to death. If we move one degree the other way, we'd freeze to death. It's amazing for those who say there's no creator. It just happened all in a big, crazy, big bang. Well, they're off their rocker. There's no way for the earth to stay tilted perfectly north and south and east and west and just the right distance from the sun so that we have the right amount of weather. There's just no way. Well, we have a compass that points us north. But north is such an important even part in the text in Scripture. In Isaiah, it says, When Lucifer, being Satan, rebelled, God said, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How... You are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. Satan's like, I'm going to take over this whole earth. I'm going to take over God. I'm going to have it all. And where am I going to go plot myself? In the north. Job says, and now no one looks to the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of the north comes the golden splendor, God who is clothed in awesome majesty. God comes from where? From the north. Why do we tend to point up when we say heaven? It's a northern expression. If you're tilting, if, you're, if your compass is up north, you're going to look up and say, there's God. Why did Satan say, I'm going to come up? I'm going to the north because he wanted to take over what God had and what God owned. See, the compass God gives you gives every child of his. The Christian is Jesus. And how do we know that? Because our compass is the Holy Spirit. It comes and lives inside of us. John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to leave and I'm going north. I'm going to go to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, and I must go so that I can send you this great helper called the Holy Spirit who will come and live inside of you, which points us to Jesus. So no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, if we are in Christ, we have a compass, the Holy Spirit who works with us and walks with us, and he's with us all the time unless we silence him. Unless we turn him off. What am I talking about? Well, we can silence or shut off on a compass. I just turned in my iPhone. I just closed it. It's done. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can close our ears to listening to that compass. Ephesians 4, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, then you're going to end up living like a person who is lost. You ever been lost somewhere and you wonder, I wish I had a road map? I wish I had a compass? We did that one time when I was a kid. We went camping on a, this youth trip, and they took us out in the middle of the road, and they dropped us off, no compass, no map, and it was in the middle of the woods, and we had to find our way back to base. It was not fun. 
spent two days carrying our backpacks, carrying our camping gear, trying to find our way back to base by looking at the sky, looking at the clouds, looking at the sun, trying to say, which way are we going so we can get our way back? See, we don't have to be lost. We don't have to wander in this world going, how do I do this? How do I live by God's will? Because we have our conscience and we have the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like a child who doesn't listen to their parents. Kids, listen to me for a moment here in this room. Moms and dads, I know you get tired of them telling you, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. Don't do this, don't do that. This is how you should live. This is what I want you to do. And what happens, some parent-child relationships become estranged because the child goes, I'm tired of my mom and dad always telling me what to do. And they quit listening. They let their conscience be seared. So they say, I'll just go figure out life and live it all by myself. And moms and dads sit there and go, I wish my child would listen. I wish my child would listen. And sometimes as they get older and they're in their 20s or in their 30s, they're like, I tried. They don't listen. And all we get stuck with is, I'm just praying for them. I'm just praying for them. I pray they turn around. I pray they come back. Because their conscience got seared. Children, don't allow your conscience to get seared. Even when moms and dads are driving you crazy, continue to go, all right, God, you got a better plan. My mom and dad understand it. I don't understand it. They're frustrating me, but I want to listen. I'm going to listen to my mom and dad. Because what happens is the relationship gets hurt. And that's what can happen with us in God. God says, I tried. Try to direct you, but you let me, let you just keep cutting me off. So eventually, Jay, just go live life and try to figure it out. It's called being given over to your depraved mind. Until you come to so much pain that you go, I've got to go back to my father. Just as a child who eventually goes back to mom and dad and says, I've screwed life up. Can you help me? See, God gave you a conscience and he gave you a compass to point you to Christ, but he also gave us Christ to help us out. And not a Christ, not a, a type of Christ, but the Christ. Peter told the crowd in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And John 20 says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the chosen one. And we have him to help us on his journey. Are you all with me? That's a good thing. Matthew 7, let me end where I began. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I've explained to you what the will of God is, that we're saved, that we're spirit-filled, that we're sanctified, that we're submissive, that we're living sacrifices, that we'll be willing to suffer, that we be thankful. I've explained to you that we have been, been given help, a conscience and a compass in Christ. Yeah, but Brian, these three enemies still remain. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're still active. And we're still going to have to deal with them until the day we ascend and go to heaven. Until we pass from this earth. So what do I do? Well, the conscious helps us to overcome the world. The consciousness, no, listen, that's the world trying to rope you into something. Stop, don't do it. Listen, the flesh, you look at think about the flesh, and you look at that, and you say, wait, what's going to help me with that? God's given us the Holy Spirit. 
this feels good. I want to do this. And the Holy Spirit the whole time is ringing the bell inside of you. Don't do that. That's unhealthy. That's not good for you. That's going to hurt your relationship. That's not, don't go that direction. And here's the best news of all. This ugly devil that wants to string us along, he's already been defeated by Jesus Christ. He's already been defeated. And so we don't have to succumb to him any longer. We don't have to give in to him any longer. That we already have victory when we're in Jesus Christ. But this is what the world tries to get us to do. Go this direction. Flesh, do this. The, the, the devil, follow me along. While God says, no, I've given you a conscience. I give you the Holy Spirit. I give you Jesus Christ. Almost like three warning bells to help us out. And rather you think about it being at home, well, nobody will see what I'm doing. Nobody else is going to know about it. If you're in Christ, you have the conscience, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus all talking to you. Don't go that direction. You get in that car, you want to go somewhere where you know I should not go. Again, the conscience, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all working with you. Don't drive that direction. You go to work and you're tempted to behave in ways that are just like the world, and you know I should not be doing that. Your conscience, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ are constantly saying, don't go that direction. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. 1 John 3.8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, church, when the bells are going off, is Jesus going to be first or am I going to be first? Me. We live in a me-first world. But we have a choice. Jesus first by listening to the conscious, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to Jesus Christ. 